0: If you look at your Bible this this afternoon, this morning, I want you to look, if you would, at one verse with me. Um, Verse number 14, many of you probably have this memorized. Many of you know in its context what it's talking about. But it says in verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. When Jesus had just finished the conversation with someone else, that someone else had initiated. And in the conversation, he was discussing with Nicodemus about himself. Of course, Nicodemus began his conversation with the Messiah by making a statement, not asking a question, but just making a statement. Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher that come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And the statement reveals the reverence that Nicodemus had for Jesus, even though he was probably twice his age. It suggests that there were others involved because he used the word we, at least making an assertion that he was not the only one that believed that he came from God, Because no man could come from God unless these miracles uh, were performed and God be with him. These words uh, show the effect of Christ's miracles. Miracles seem to arrest the attention of people that are watching them. It probably challenged for investigation and prove that he uh, who works them is from God, perhaps He came by night because he would make private inquiries before he committed himself to this new teacher, this rabbi, Jesus. But Jesus did not refuse him. Uh, uh, He did not refuse his midnight audience. The Nicodemus came to him, uh, I think, with a courteous and a candid spirit. Jesus used the moment to let a religious man know that he needed to be born again because your morality doesn't save you. A new beginning for any man can only begin with the acknowledgement that they are a sinner um, and that they do not have enough righteousness to get to heaven, so they need Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 6 says, "...who also hath made us able ministers..." Of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit giveth life. John 6 63 says, It is the Spirit that quickens, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Speaking of his own words, the Lord Jesus. In chapter 3, verse number 6, the Bible says that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So we're dealing with the flesh and the spirit in the context. That is fleshly, it's talking about the meaning, holy, completely unclean and under the wrath of God. And therefore, this word flesh signifies that the corrupt nature of man, contrary to to which is uh, the Spirit, capital S. The natural birth by nature produces natural descendants and therefore are of no good. They are not good eggs. Every man stands in need of a new spiritual birth. That is, the man engrafted into Christ through the grace of the Holy Spirit whose nature is everlasting and immortal, Through the the strife of the flesh, though the strife of the flesh remains, uh, the new nature is in everyone who is born again from above. And put it in layman terms terms, if you would, is that your flesh will condemn you. The Holy Spirit ignites you and leads you into a happy life. And so you need the internal working of the Holy Spirit and uh, there are enough evil spirits in the world today, and they are being stirred up by all of the confusion in our culture today. Second Peter 1.4 says, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that these, and by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." And so we see that the world is sin-cursed Uh, We see that the, the world is corrupt. We don't have to look too far to see that. But there is a need then for us to have some kind of a renewal or a new beginning, and that happens in Christ. And many of you have come to Christ that are in here today listening to my voice, and you have received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. But not all understand their need for this new birth. And uh, I think it's good for us to be soul winners and people that actually would take the time of taking a track and giving it to somebody so that they can understand that their condition is the condition of every man, that every man is a sinner, and they need Jesus Christ to, to, to be saved. A 19th century Scottish preacher named Horatus. Bonar asked 253 Christian friends, uh, at what age did you come to the law of the Lord? When were you converted? And here's what he discovered. Under the age of 20, there were 138 out of the 253. Under the age of 20 have come to Christ. Between 20 and 30, 85 of them came to Christ of the 253. Between the ages of 30 and 40, 22 came to Christ out of the 253. Between the ages of 40 and 50, out of the 253, he asked only four of them. Between the ages of 50 and 60, only three. Between the ages of 60 to 70, only one. And over 70, when he asked them, 253 Christians, how many of you have come to Christ, the people said, that over 80, zero of them came to Christ. But that tells me, and it helps me to understand, is that we need to reach the children for Christ. We need to, at an early age, let them know that the Bible's true, and that God loves them, and that Jesus Christ will never fail them. They need to know that at a very very early age. If you have children that are in your home, or you're expecting children to come, Uh, In your family, make sure that they know that the Bible is true and make sure that you show them the God of heaven. They need every opportunity early on to trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. It's the hope of our nation. Without any shadow of doubt, God is drawing people to himself. He is constantly doing it. That's why I titled this The Magnetism of the Cross. This message, because even behind me, your eyes have looked at me, but you've looked at the cross behind me at least 17 times this morning. Because your eyes go to the cross, it seems like, and even though it's lit up and it's just a piece of wood, it helps us to remember what Christ has done for us. I think it's important. John 4, 23 says, But the hour comes, and and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks... That means he inquires and he desires such to worship him. He is seeking you this morning and you're hearing me speak and you're understanding, but your hearts are being tugged toward heaven. That is the Holy Spirit pulling and tugging at you and helping you to desire God and to seek him. John six forty four says, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. I think there's three things that I want to convey to you uh, this morning, looking at the text and understanding the passage and kind of break it down a little bit and put it into some kind of a a sense and an order for us all to be able to see why these words are written. Why did John write John chapter 3? Why is that given to us? And man has put the chapters, and I'm not saying that John sat down and said, well, here's another chapter. John wrote these things, and we have divided them. And this, was the, this, this division was helping us understand that there needed to be a new birth. And the first thing I want you to think about in the first eight verses is that there is a personal need to inquire, and, and that's what Nicodemus had, and he had it by himself perhaps, but he had it with others too, because we know that, that this couldn't be done except God be with you. You know when you see a changed person and their life is completely different that something happened to them, that God had intervened, and now that they are a partaker of the Holy Spirit of God, that that person is different than what they would have been if they would have been lost in the world. They have more purpose, more clarity. So the personal need is here. I don't have time to read it because of the time now, but I know that these verses, we read them already, is dealing with this conversation is, is, in my mind, one of the most important recorded conversations in the New Testament. And this exposition, really, of the Master's teaching on salvation is indispensable and it brings clarity to the subject of redemption who needs it and how do we get it? These answers are all revealed, even in the Old Testament, there was this desire to know Isaiah. Chapter number 21, verses 11 and 12, it says the burden of Duma. He called to me out of Seir, watchmen, what of the night? Watchmen, what of the night? And the watchman said the morning comes and also the night. But if you inquire, inquire you, return and come. I think it's important for us to look at those verses as historical in some sense, but they're really uh, pertinent for today. They they are words that we could actually say that we're living in darkness and we would actually cry out to God, how much longer is the night? And God would say, well, the morning's going to come, but also the night. Isn't life like that? You have good days and you have bad days. You have nighttime and you have daytime, even in your own personal life. Crying out and saying to them, seek then, inquire ye. Return, if you know God, then return unto him. And if you don't know him, then come to him. If you're sitting here today and you thought religion was for someone else, no, religion was for you. Christ was for you. He died for you. Personal inquiring of him. I think it's important for us to grasp that understanding, that you know that there's a need in your heart that you cannot fill no matter how many drugs you take. No matter how much alcohol or wine that you take, you'll never be satisfied. No matter how many relationships you have, there's nothing in this world that will satisfy you. The only thing that will provide for you grace and peace is Jesus Christ, and there's no other way, no matter what you do. But that draws you to personal questions. Luke chapter 2, 45-47 says, And they found him not. They turned back against again, to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass after three days that they found him in the temple, sitting amongst the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. At a very early age, Jesus knew that he was to be about his father's business, and he would go then to the temple, and he would meet with the, the... Religious people of the day, and he would actually listen and answer questions. He is still in that business today. He is the Word, and the Word was made flesh. And so we understand that where we get our help from is from the Word of God. Do you have questions this morning? Then inquire you. And you can inquire personally, you don't have to have someone hold your hand to come to God, He will listen to you. You don't need a priest to be with you or a pastor to be with you or some spiritual guru to go with you. You can go to God this morning and you can inquire of him and you can ask him for help. The most often visited Internet site in the summer of 2001 was reported to be an interview with God. It's an, an imaginary question, of course, an answer session with God. In June alone and had 2.4 million visitors on the on the website. It would be actually be stronger, I think, to today in 2023 because I, I think there are more questions. I think there are people that are seeking, but they don't know what to do. Um, but all of this without advertising. They just had this many hits, if you would, or this many settled in. In 2018, they, they made a film, an interview with God. If you knew that Somebody was going to speak to God and had an interview with him. Would you listen to it? Human beings long for a conversation with God. We're still looking for answers in the basic questions of life, and the greatest longings in our heart are found and going to be at peace in the person of Jesus Christ. We want direction for our life. Jesus said, I am the way. We want what's real, and Jesus says, I am the truth. We're constantly looking for life, and Jesus said, I am the life. And by the way, it is more abundant when you obey God. When you disobey God, it's very difficult. The way of the transgressor is hard, the Bible tells us. How do I deal with my guilt? John said of Jesus that he was the Lamb of God and takes away the sin of the world. I think what's happening in our culture today is people are denying sin. They are saying that there is no sin anymore, and they're trying to water it down. Somehow they're trying to reduce the consequences of sin, and so they are actually being more lenient. And there's just a few of them doing that, saying that if a person steals from a store, it's okay, as long as he doesn't do it all the time and uh, call the police on someone that has actually, you know, uh, the first thing that they're probably going to be asking now, is he a regular? Because if he's a regular, we need to stop him. That's the problem. If you discipline him for the first time very harshly, he's probably not going to do it again. These are common sense things. And so... When it comes to sin and, and 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 saying what is sin, well, in First John chapter three, the Bible tells us that if anybody transgresses or disobeys this book, that is sin. So we're going against God; that is sin. And also, we know that him that do it, that, that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So sin is really easily explained but our culture is trying to do away with it. And it's not something that actually has just all of a sudden appeared in 2023. You know, They rejected God back when I was just a little boy in this country. They said they didn't want the Bible inside the schools. We know that. There was no, no more prayers inside the schools and all that was pushed out. This is the consequence of that. I think when it comes to sin... We ought to remember that it's a horrible thing. And I I believe that we all have personal concerns, and I I think that we have what we would call probably imaginary burdens and then real burdens, and I I do a message on that sometimes. But all of us have concerns, and are your concerns today, are they strong enough to go and inquire of God? What am I going to do about this? We all have personal complaints, don't we? Certainly, we would say, "Well, I think this would be better." And, and how many have ever been guilty of complaining? I think we would all raise our hand uh, and say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've complained." But there are chronic complainers. You know, it can be really, really sunny, and then the person would say, "Well, my skin dries out in these days." You know, but there are co- chronic complainers. But sometimes there are personal. Concerns, but personal complaints. And what is your purpose? And what do you do with those complaints and those concerns? Who do you inquire about these things? What is your spirit like when you do ask God and you inquire? I think that leads me to the next point as I get ready to move along the personal need to believe. And so, we understand, first of all, there is this personal need to inquire, but also there is this personal need to believe, and that's in verse number 9 to verse number 17. Uh, let me just read these verses to you. Look at verse number 9. and Let's look at verse, to verse number 17, because this is actually the key of what I'm talking about. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and we testify what we've seen. You receive not our witness. If I have told you of earthly things, and you believe not, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. He's basically telling Nicodemus, "I have come down from heaven." And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Keyword verse 15, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. People, this is pretty simple. If we were to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 and 4, Paul says, be careful, be careful that the serpent doesn't beguile you in your minds, that you take away the simplicity that's in Jesus Christ because we at humans want to make something else bigger. We want to make it harder. Turn to Christ. Turn to Jesus. His Spirit will transform you. Even when you think it'll never happen, He will. Verse number 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And for God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the whole world through Him might be saved. And so we understand the personal need to believe, and God is using your personal need to draw you to Him. What is your personal need? I believe it's the sin problem. We are all born with this sin issue. I think the problem is really looked at and and really dealt with in Numbers chapter 21. So if you took your Bibles and you would actually go with me, and let's look at that just for a little bit. I think it's important for us to understand that there was uh, a reason why he said, if if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me, in verse number 14. And he's referring to what took place in the desert back in Numbers 21. Look at verse number 4, if you would. I think it's important for us to see this. and uh, The Bible says in verse number 4, And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged. Um, that word is the same word for grieved in the Hebrew. So their, their souls were grieved. They were discouraged because of the way. And can I be honest with you? Um, the Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All i got to do is follow. But you know what? Sometimes it gets a little bit hard. And sometimes we start to grieve within our own hearts. We begin to question. We begin to get discouraged. And then we run to our homes. And we we run from responsibility, not just the civil responsibilities, but the religious responsibilities. We have less servants today than ever in God's kingdom because of being grieved discouraged and trying to change things. I'm sick and tired of changing things to get more people or whatever. No, let's keep things close to the scripture as possible. But look what it says. It says that they became grieved or discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. That's what happens when people get discouraged. It's God's fault, right? It's Moses' fault. And wherefore have you brought us out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? there is no bread, and neither is there any water. And our soul, loatheth, is an old English word that means, is distressed or disgusted of this light bread. It's a word that's pretty strong. And so God says, hmm, how am I going to deal with my disobedient, discouraged, discouraged, grieved people that are speaking against me and speaking against He actually does this. Look what it says in verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much of the people died, of Israel died. Uh, This is not politically correct. It can't be. Because certainly they should have had a session on their self-esteem. You know what I mean? That would do. Look in the mirror and say ten times, you're a good person. Take a vacation. No. No. He sent fiery serpents on them. I'll tell you what, out of all the reptiles, the snakes are creepy to me. I don't like them. I was watching a video the other day. This woman had a big, huge aquarium, and she lifted the lid up, and she let the head of that big old snake out, and it came up to her, and she was going, Hi, how are you doing, baby? I thought, this is really morbid she put her hand out and the thing came onto her hand and it lashed around her arm and then it went around her body and then it went around her leg and it got real tight and it pfft, lashed onto her Th- sunk into her wrist she was holding it down and she was dripping and there was a puddle of blood on the ground and the husband's saying should i stop filming this is a man Duh. tell me what to do honey not much of a leader in the home i'd say get the snakes out of here or you're going but I thought about that for a little while longer, and that's what America's doing. They're playing with the old serpent, the snake that was in the in the garden. And I don't know. Maybe you like snakes, and it offends you. I'm so sorry for offending you. That's just the way it is. Snakes are creepy, and they came with the people. Now think about this. And much of the Israel people died, signifying. Their condition was so bad that there was no hope and they were probably going to all die. If you think about this, the grandpas and the children, they were dying alike. There were the screams of people because of the snakes. And look what the Bible says. Look what it says in verse number 7. And therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, we have sinned. And we have where we have spoken against the Lord and against thee and pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looks upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. All they had to do was look. Why a serpent of brass, I do not know. The commentaries say actually it was a human living wholly on the inside was Jesus Christ himself. It had to be the flesh God, man, that would come from heaven down to earth and put on flesh and die the the death someone who was crucified that would actually save. I was thinking about this and how painful it must have been and how deadly and how effective the bites were and how rapid it was. Then I think about sin, what it does to us. So Sin sows discord and brings guilt and brings anguish like the men standing before Joseph, and they knew what they did to him, and here he was saying, I forgive you. And all those years they were hiding it and all the years you've been suppressing the sin problem and all the difficulties. And, and maybe this morning you're sitting here saying, I need Christ. What do I do? Go to him. Look to him. All they had to do here was look to, look to the serpent and live. Look and live. You've sung it before. It's part of the whole understanding that the simplicity that's in Jesus Christ. Do you believe or do you not believe? Now I know that there's involved with this repentance, and it's an absolute nece- necessary, it, it's, it's absolutely necessary that we repent and turn to God for our salvation. I understand that. But belief is there. If you believe, you will repent. if you believe you will trust Him, if you believe you will be what God wants you to be. because it's important for us to remember the remedy to this universal curse problem. The snake has bitten all of us, and there is no way out. That's why Jesus said very clearly for us, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. There had to be the cross of Christ. We must preach it still, the simplicity that's in Jesus Christ, because our Father really is the the source of our faith. And the Word of God is the source of our faith because hearing the Word produces and strengthens our faith. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. And we see this personal need to believe. I'm empty on the inside and I must believe. And some of you this morning are going everywhere but to God. Come to Him. He's gentle. He's not like I am. He's not hollering. He's saying, Come unto me, all ye that are burdened heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come unto me. You say, Well, I've done things worse than anybody in this room. Oh no, you haven't. Sin is sin, dear friend. Whatever you think of yourself more highly than somebody else, let me tell you something. The sins of the flesh are not as bad as the sins of the spirit of someone who is arrogant and prideful and thinking they are better than everybody else in this place, you've got a problem. Your problem is sin, and that needs to be repented of. I was thinking as we were coming to work yesterday morning to the church that we ought to clean the church, both of the flesh and of the spirit. (laughs) In my mind, I was thinking of this. Maybe that's a little bit radical thinking, but the flesh actually brings mud in, and we got to clean it all up, right? But then when I come in and walk in these doors, I say, Dear God, push every filthy, rotten, evil spirit out of this place so that you can do your work. Give us your liberty and push the floodgates of all of the nonsense and all of the confusion that's in the culture today. Push it away so your people can come and cleanse this place of both the flesh and the spirit. I think we ought to look at our hearts the same. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 1, tells us to do that. If you have a Father in heaven, then separate yourself from the things of this world. And cleanse yourself of the things, the evils, the sins that you know in the flesh, but also the sins of the spirit, your pride and your arrogance and so on. The personal need to the believer. There's another personal need here. And there's a personal need for you to witness. There's just something that happens when you tell somebody that you're saved. You know, And by the way, they shouldn't have to ask you, but sometimes they do. Are you saved? Are you going to church? You ever, you ever meet someone and you think, man, this fish is really familiar. They look familiar. They talk like I talk when it comes to God and so on. Pretty soon you say, are you saved? And they say, yeah, tell me about it. And they say, well, I was in church as a little girl, and I did some things that were wrong, and I knew I was wrong, but I came to God. I came up the island. My daddy was a preacher, and they go on and on, and they, they say, I trusted Jesus as my Savior, and I'm so thankful I did. That person that heard it says, Wow, that's awesome. But the person that's speaking it, they're saying, Wow, that's awesome. Because something happens when we witness, there's a personal need. Oh, Nicodemus, the best thing you could do is believe and then go tell everybody about the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe he told his friend Joseph, and maybe Joseph said, I thought you might be a believer, and him and Joseph went and took the body of Jesus off of the cross and put it into a borrowed tomb. Maybe that did happen, but there's just something about witnessing and telling others what God has done for you. Some people say, well, I'm not a soul winner because I'm just kind of shy. you know. Oh, then you're exempt. Don't be so, you know, loose up here. No, he said for us all that we are supposed to go and tell the world, every one of us. And you say, well, I don't know how to do that. It's really simple. Sir, how are you doing today? Would you read this? Take time. You can walk away with a clear conscience. You gave him a track. And you know what you can do? You can say, as you're talking to people and maybe getting settled in and, you're talking about maybe tractors and farming or whatever, or you're talking about the military, or you're talking about investments, or you're, you're talking about college, or perhaps you're talking about chickens, I don't know. Talking about finances, maybe, that's what you're talking about. Whatever comes, and all of a sudden you just say, you know what happened to me? What happened to me in 1968 was incredible. I understood that God loved me, and I understood that he died for me. You know what you're doing? And if you're lifting him up, he's going to draw all men to himself. Father, I was obedient. I lifted you up. And you drew people to yourself. What a blessing. You see, the Christian life is pretty easy. The simplicity that's in Christ. We make it hard. We make it difficult. Maybe you're a little confused this morning. I'm not trying to confuse you. I'm trying to help you. Maybe I've been a little bit more too in your face, perhaps, and I should be more like I should have a robe, and I should be saying, "Ah, oh, oh, equality. <laughs> Not me. There may have been a time for long robes, but that's over. We need to be strong in the Lord. And God's looking for strong men and ladies today. To continue to stay the course and be what God wants them to be. Maybe you think today would be too much if you turn your heart to Jesus. I had a conversation with a man this week. He's probably watching me. I'm busy. I'm at Culver's with my wife got to give him at least some time and I did and after I got done I had about 20 minutes with him there and then I got to the church I had another hour with him he called me last night he was probably in the lowest of low he's ever been but I've never seen him speak more clear and more peaceful than he did last night when we talked and he said pastor thank you I was being tricked I was being deceived. Do you know what Satan's doing? He's deceiving you. Don't let him do it. And, and remember this, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Miss Mayor or whoever they call you, whatever you are, I was here before you were. And I've been pulling people to Christ for many, many years. But if you don't change your ways, Miss Mayor, you are going to burn in hell. Mr. Governor, I've always tuned in and told you that you don't have a spine. It's because you don't. But you can grow one in Christ Jesus. There's still hope for our mayor of Madison and for our governor of Wisconsin if they turn to the simplicity that's in Jesus Christ. But if they don't, they will find themselves in the lake of fire. That's the truth. Don't take more people with you, sir, and don't take more people with you, ma'am. Step down. Let somebody else lead that has a backbone, that has a heart for people. Dear friend, time is short. The simplicity of Christ is just as clear as it was when I was a little boy. Come to Jesus. And dear Christian, please stand up and witness with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning i don't know where you're at spiritually but maybe you're here this morning and you say pastor pastor i i need jesus i don't need more medication i don't need more pills or alcohol, or drugs. I need Jesus. And maybe you would be honest enough to say, would you pray for me, Pastor? No one's looking around between me and you and God. I'll pray for you. I won't point you out. I won't come down and see you or whatever. I'll just pray for you. But maybe you would be honest enough and real to say, I need Jesus in my life. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone like that this morning? Just lift up your hand and put it back down again. Say, yes, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. Anyone? Lift it up, put it back down again. Anyone? Then, dear Christian, I was speaking to you. Oh, you know that he needs to be lifted up. And maybe you have not been doing that. How do you do that? Simply witness, but simply serve? And God is speaking to you already. Just say yes to him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, why don't you stand where you are? Let's have an invitation. If you need to come, these steps have been used for people coming and kneeling down for years. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in the hearts of those that are here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.